the end of the day, it's an identity crisis. The culture is saying you're one thing, you're disconnected from family, and you have no sense of responsibility. And the Catholic Church is saying something else, such as sexuality matters because you matter, and so do the people who you are connected to. And so as we're seeing what's happening in the culture right now, I have been riveted by the fact that we try with everything from plastic reconstructive surgery, cross-sex hormones, to many other things such as legal transition to answer this identity crisis that is a so-called LGBTQ pride promoting topic for people. Yet at the end of the day, it really is a question about God. And we as Catholics have the answers to what's happening with the identity crisis today. We see science isn't answering the question with plastic reconstructive surgery that has the appearance of something, but to the actual damage that's being done. Really think about what it means to have top surgery or bottom surgery. A woman will never nurse a child. A person will literally have their body mutilated, torn apart, tucked, and presented in a fake way. Some people have to go to the restroom on the outside of their bodies for the rest of their lives. This is gruesome. And as we see this, the United States is actually behind on the latest psychological consensus. And when I talk about psychological consensus, I'm talking about a secular international consensus, including all over Europe, Sweden, Finland, the UK, Norway, and many other countries as well who are saying no to transitioning people through both cross-sex hormones and so-called therapeutic sex changes. So I want to talk about this from a philosophical and theological perspective, and no better person to talk to who's on the front line of this than Teresa Farnan. She is an author and a moral philosopher working with Person and Identity. Personandidentity.com is a great resource if you're trying to answer some of the crises surrounding gender today. Teresa, welcome to Trending. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be with you today. Teresa, it's fascinating as we see what's happening with conversations surrounding the human person and a culture that tells you disconnect from your family, go no contact, uh, the body doesn't matter. There's so many influences that are really putting, I think, a damper on everything from identity to self-determination. At the end of the day, I really believe this is a Catholic question. How do you think what's happening today is influencing our identity and our self-determination? Wow, that's a <laughs> that's a big question. So let's take a few steps back to the um, just to the beginnings of the sexual revolution with contraception, and as you mentioned, abortion, which was a great lead into this question, where women especially were told that they could deny their bodies, suppress their fertility, and enjoy what was regarded as sort of male privilege when it came to human sexuality, which mm -hmm. is the ability to get engage in sex without being pregnant. Going along with that then, you know, very soon people realized they needed abortion as a backup for contraception because of course people keep getting pregnant, right? But underlying it all is this attempt to deny the reality that sex is for babies, that human mm -hmm. sexual intercourse is given to us for the sake of the family so that we can be we can engage in sexual intercourse with one person of the opposite sex and create a family for life and then be a mother or a father, right? And one of the things that's been so striking with the abortion debate is that when a woman goes in for that first visit as they're sizing up whether or not that woman is going to keep her baby, so, so to speak, like whether or not she's abortion-minded, the office staff will always refer to the baby as a fetus until 
they discover that the that mother is going to keep her baby and then it's a baby, right? Mm-hmm. And why do they do right. that? Because the implication is you don't have to be a mother unless you want to. Now, fast forward to now, we're skipping over many years of the sexual <laughs> revolution and everything mm-hmm. that's gone in between and the influence of postmodernism. But now we're at a point where young people are told that you can, not only can you deny the, the reality of the fertility of your body, but you can deny your body itself and you can rewrite the relationships in your life, right? So if you're a young woman, you're dissatisfied with your body, you can decide that you no longer want to be a woman. Why? Because maybe you're going through puberty or maybe people are sexually harassing you, whatever the reasons for the discomfort with their body. But these women are encouraged to take radical steps to destroy mm-hmm. their bodies, destroy their fertilities. And in so doing, they're upending relationships. And the contrast is so stark because John Paul II has this beautiful essay in, that he wrote when he was a, a philosophy professor in Poland, where he, he goes through and says, what does it mean to be a human person? And he looks at Aquinas, and Aquinas, of course, doesn't really go through personhood with respect to the human person. Um, he talks about human beings and the nature of human beings, but he doesn't specifically apply personhood. So John Paul II said, well, let's take what Aquinas is, you know, his work, and let's see where can we draw out personhood. And what he does is he goes to his section on the Trinity, right? And he says, well, we're, we're made in the image and likeness of God, which means we're made in the image and likeness of the Trinity. And how do we distinguish the persons of the Blessed Trinity? By their relationship with each other. And so... The way to understand the person is fundamentally through relationship, right? You're born into a relationship. You're a sister. You're a brother. You've got a mother. You've got a father. Someday you might be a mother or a father, an aunt, an uncle. You name it, right? So we're embedded in relationships. And then that sets the stage for how we understand everything from human sexuality to just interacting in society. And it's such a beautiful, holistic vision of human flourishing And instead, our kids are being handed this, like, just distorted view of the person as this isolated, autonomous individual who can not only reject relationships, but in doing so, they must reject their very bodies, right? Their very Mm -hmm. nature. Mm -hmm. And then they end up as this unhappy, disembodied person who is striving for happiness, but you can't be happy without your body. Your body is you. You're mm-hmm. constituted as a person, <laughs> body and soul. And we, you know, it was funny. I was talking about this with one of my kids on, uh, you know, before I, I had to drive him to uh, practice. So I handed him something to read. And I said, tell me what this means. And he was like, well, your body's you. And, you know, and he's talking <laughs> through all of this in a very intuitive way because intuitively everyone's known that. But now in schools, we're training kids from kindergarten on, right. from preschool on, to reject their bodies, to disassociate, and to think that they can have happiness just based on their desires, rejecting yes. everything that actually makes you happy. It's and I so appreciate, Dr. Farnan, that you mentioned this idea of disassociating from your body at the same time as enjoying your body, right? There's this idea of we're teaching little kids in as early as preschool and to kindergarten to uh, disassociate, right? We'll question whether or not they're male or female. Everything that we're seeing from coloring book 
<laughs> design surrounding sexual content to even, you know, this idea of the gingerbread person. But then you also have this objectification where they're already being encouraged to engage in self-discovery. And mm -hmm. it's so fascinating because you have this idea that you're just completely objectifying the body to just bodies, to material, and you're nothing more than that. Yet at the end of the day, I think so much of this crisis, Dr. Farnan, has to do with this idea of when we're talking about relationship, as you mentioned, that Thomas Aquinas and Pope St. John Paul II pulled from his work, that we can understand ourselves as persons from the Trinity, which is relational. Well, I think a lot of people are rejecting family members and themselves in the midst of this identity crisis. And it starts with this very idea that they're rejecting that they even receive their life as a child, for example, as a son, that you receive mm -hmm. that life from God the Father and your parents, and that there's something that you are meant to receive in the development, the early stages of development that I think a lot of kids are also missing today as well. So mm -hmm. part of this in many respects, is add on that breakdown of the family with the divorce. You mentioned sexual abuse, rejection of puberty, because there's a lack of handing on what it means to be a boy and a man to young boys and a girl and a woman to young girls today. Yeah, and going along with that, the fundamental relationship, you know, according to Pope Francis, Pope Benedict, one of the things that they've identified is that you know, at the heart of gender ideology and this idea that you can reject and disassociate yourself from your body, at the end of the day, it's a rejection of the gift of you. You know, God gives you you, body and soul, um, from the moment of conception. And so when you reject that gift, you're in a really profound way. And for so many of these young people, it's unintentional, but you're putting yourself in a position where you're rejecting something that's integral to this relationship. God made you body and soul and he loves you. He doesn't make mistakes, right? And so that's so profoundly unsettling to our young people. It, it really, really is. And it results in this very, very like disturbing idea that you can treat your body like it's just this almost like Play-Doh that you can fashion it into right. something to reflect your inner ideas. That's what they're being told. If you look at the language in the, that's being used in these gender clinics, they will talk about wanting to align the body with your internal sense of identity. Well, what's underlying that idea? It's the, the underlying idea is that your body is not you. You are not an embodied person, body and soul, and that your body has no meaning and no purpose. It just exists for you to use in a way that's going to make, you know, where you can do what you think will make you happy. And none mm -hmm. of the adults in the room are looking at these kids saying, hey, what's the real source of your pain? Why are you troubled? What, what is terrifying you about being a woman? What's going on? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. underneath, at the end of the day, when you listen to these stories of these kids, there is always something, whether it's being uneasy at school, sexual harassment, trauma, some, a huge number of these kids are autistic. So they're, yes. they're, they have Especially issues the girls. with, Yep. especially the girls, but a lot of the young men too. And, mm -hmm. and we're seeing, there was an article that I read today talking about breaking down a survey where they said it's, it's occurring at younger and younger ages. So yes. we're seeing this sharp spike at the age of 11. Mm 
mm-hmm. with young girls. Because that's when they're on social media. They're first getting on social media. They're being exposed. I mean, we're seeing even here in the state of California, we have two lawsuits with three different sets of young girls who started their transition under the guidance of so-called medical professionals at Kaiser Permanente Hospitals. And it started at about 11 and 12 years old. I mean, who yes. on earth? thinks that's okay. Parents are looking for answers when their kids come to them in this crisis of identity. And parents are turning, justifiably so, to professionals. And what we're saying, we need to look to theology to see that we really have come to this point where, I mean, St. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter one, where he talks about essentially when we turn our back on the creator, the creature becomes unintelligible. We can't know who and what we are. And yet I know a lot of people say, are we really talking about Marxism and communism and feminism again? Yet at the heart of what's happening was an intentional strategy to depersonalize the human person and erase God in the conversation of who we are and what we do with our bodies. And that was all under the guise of Marxism, communism, and ultimately feminism is just a cover for Marxism and communism at the end of the day. Let's talk about how this ambiguity was pushed forward on the human person by these ideologies. One of the defining features of ideologies like that is, well, Marxism, for one, is a radically materialistic philosophy, and there's a, a, a striking, weird blend of viewing the person just as this like person who gets to make decisions and make choices and exercise autonomy, but then this materialism with respect to the body, that it's just this raw material and it, it has no meaning. There's no profound meaning in life beyond that. But the thing that's been so, I think, so damaging about the influence of Marxism and for the the feminist influencers who have come through and who have been so influential in this, a lot of them are either postmodern or they're Marxist feminists, and they view everything about the person in terms of power dynamics, right? So we were talking before about that relationality that's at the heart of family dynamics, according to the church and really according to classical philosophy. And as we've all known throughout the centuries, right, that's, you know, a received part of human wisdom, which is that there is this relationship between people. Well, instead, Marxists and this this toxic strain of Marxist feminism that's come through and that, that you see, especially at work now in, in the feminists who are really just very weirdly like championing the rights of so-called trans women to compete in events at the expense of biological women, right? So that seems to be such a contradiction until you look at the fact that for a Marxist ideology, everything is in terms of power. And so you analyze the person in terms of who's oppressed, who's not oppressed. And at the heart of it, at the heart of all of these ideologies, whether it's communism, whether it's Marxism, whether it's the consumerism that has gripped our country, even with corporations like Planned Parenthood who see our young people as markets where they can market their Depo-Provera and their, mm-hmm. their contraceptive, you know, contraceptive implants to these young, vulnerable young girls. At the heart of it, what they see is they see the family as getting in the way of their ability to exploit and to mold their, your children. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you see this aggressive attack on parental rights in states like California, because they are determined that the government now is in charge of the young people, that you as parents, you bring your children into the world. Although if they get their way with reproductive technology, you know, men and women become obsolete. 
But for now, you bring your children into the world, and then as soon as they walk through the doors of the public school, they are the property of the state, and the state knows best, and the state gets to shape and mold them according to their own ideas of what the good is and what their purpose in life is. And it will never benefit the individual. It is never in human history, there has never been an instance where the state exercising power and taking away children from their parents has ever done it for the, you know, in a wholesale, and I'm not talking about situations of abuse, but, you know, if you look at communist China or if you look at some of the other Marxist communist revolutions, when they take children away from their parents, it's Mm -hmm. to benefit the state and it is not to the benefit of the individual. We need to be very bold in terms of saying to people, hey, there's a better way. Our young people are hungering for this. They need to know that we love them enough to say, you are beautiful as you are. And if someone starts articulating some of these issues about, I I don't want to be a boy, I'm not a boy, or I'm not a boy, or I'm not a girl, like, sit down and have a conversation. What really is going on with you? What is the source of your pain? Our young people are in, they are struggling. Mm -hmm. And, And instead, what our culture is handing them is just a surgeon's knife and pharmaceuticals. Mm. And it's leaving them in a worse place. And it's just ripping families apart. So we, we cannot sit on the sidelines, but there's a way to do it where you're loving and you care for these young people and you care for their families. And that's the answer our culture needs. What you're saying reminds me so much of what we saw past last year by public vote, even though the public didn't know it. But in Vermont, Michigan and California, those three states, they actually passed amendments to the state constitution surrounding so-called reproductive rights as young as for little toddlers. And if my daughter were to continuously tell me she's a boy and if in front of the right person, that could put me in real trouble today because Mm -hmm. we would be told that I am allowing my child to develop and to go through, quote, the wrong puberty these are conversations Mm -hmm. that people are actually having today is insane as that sounds yet we know that that's not true i do think this is going to come to a legal head in the months and year to come because again we are behind the time with regard to even just basic secular psychological approaches to transgenderism yet let's look at this from the catholic perspective because i think it is so important In Pope St. John Paul II's work, Veritatis Splendor, he talks a lot about the relevance of the human body and how we can't just look at our bodies essentially as pieces of meat or as something to be manipulated the way a computer is today, but talks about that important relationship between human freedom, yet the reality that that human freedom is placed within the particular context of the body that has a natural law that it's meant to follow. Yeah, and it's this idea that, you know, underlying it, and this is, again, this is an idea that that we as Catholics, we explain it in a beautiful way where we link it to God the Creator, but you see this in philosophy too, which is this idea that every being has a nature, it's a certain kind of thing, and there are things that will help it flourish and things that will hurt it, right? So if you neglect feeding your child, for example, your child is going to suffer. Why? Because your child is an embodied person, and that child will suffer not only physically from hunger, but emotionally from the neglect of parents not feeding them. And it's because 
you're that unity of body and soul where it isn't enough. I mean, we, we saw this at the collapse of the Soviet empire. Ironically, you know, we've been talking about this. When they first started going into some of the orphanages in places like Romania, they would have rows and yes. rows of cribs, and these children were being bottle-fed you know, just almost like an assembly line, right? Right. And it was it was horrifying. Why? Because we understand that children need to be nurtured. Children need to not just be fed physically, but but fed emotionally and fed spiritually. And that's why you see like, you know, communities like the Ukrainian Catholics, for example, which suffered so much persecution, they had that deep hunger for spiritual nourishment. Well, the insight of John Paul II is that any culture which denies at the heart of of every culture is its anthropology, how it understands the person. And if it denies the importance of body and soul and their link together in human nature, a nature which has been given to us by a God who loves us and who created us as this magnificent, beautiful creation and destines us for eternal life with him, right? So that's mm -hmm. the source of our dignity. That's the source of our value. And so you can't have any philosophy which either just reduces the person to mere materialism or reduces the person to just desires is going to get it wrong in a way where it's going to end very, very badly. And his point was that when you lose sight of that unity of body and soul, you start seeing these dehumanizing things. And, you know, I used to use that paragraph in Veritatis Splendor years ago, even before gender ideology, to talk about why contraception was wrong. Why? Because it reduces human sexuality to a pre-moral or an amoral action mm -hmm. that's only about physical good. And we saw how that ended up. You know, there are so many women who have horrible, horrifying stories from their experience with the hookup culture and the sexual mm -hmm. revolution. It was degrading, it was depersonalizing, and it was devastating, right? Like they go home, they have a liaison, they go home and they sit and they wait for someone to call, and meanwhile the guys moved on. And it's, it's dehumanizing for the men too, they lose mm -hmm. their dignity, right? But we see this again on steroids with this gender right. ideology where kids to are being told, to the extreme, and it's so damaging for our kids. Right. But what we need, we need to be very bold in terms of saying to people, hey, there's a better way. Our young people are hungering for this. They need to know that we love them enough to say, you are beautiful as you are. And if someone starts articulating some of these issues about, I, I don't wanna be a boy, I'm not a boy, or I'm not a boy, or I'm not a girl, sit down and have a conversation. Yes. What really is going on with you? What is yeah. the source of your pain? Our young people are in, they are struggling. Mm -hmm. and, and instead what our culture is handing them is just a surgeon's knife and pharmaceuticals. Mm. And it's leaving them in a worse place. And it's just ripping families apart. So we, we cannot sit on the sidelines, but there's a way to do it where you're loving and you care for these young people, and you care for their families, and that's the answer our culture needs. And I love something you said a while back that I think summarizes so much of what you're saying is that you can't override the body. I heard you speak at a conference a couple months ago at the Catholic Psychological Association Conference, and that line just hit me between the eyes. You can't override the body, and yet that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to override mm -hmm. relationships. We're trying to override sexuality. We're trying to override God in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And it's not possible. And these kids, as you say, are suffering. I'm watching these stories of these children 
coming into adulthood who are sharing their stories of, quote, detransitioning. Chloe Cole, Abel Garcia, they're 18, 22, 23, 25 years old, 15 years old, coming out of this transition where they were sold an absolute lie. And you mentioned consumerism. It's this idea of you can buy your happiness. You can buy what you want to look like. You know, Instagram, social media, Snapchat, all of these digital media programs for so long have said you can, you know, morph your face onto another face to see what you'd look like in a different light. Or you can reconstruct your face with these incredible editing capabilities. And at the end of the day, it's created, I think, such a sense of loss of self-appreciation and love and at the end of the day it's just breaking these children's hearts and i say children because it's children who we're playing the science experiment on at the end of the yes. day and i yes. think that that's what's so significant and why i love your work at person and identity can you mention for those who aren't familiar with person and identity how it can play as a resource for them in confronting the gender crisis today we developed our website, or everything on our website is free, and we developed it with, um, you know, all of the people in the church who are, are sort of have different roles to play with respect to this question. So we have frequently asked questions for parents. We have informational sheets. We have resources. We have resources for medical professionals. We have resources for parishes, for dioceses, and just for people who want to who want to understand this. And what we found is that. There is an incredible gaslighting, for lack of a better word, um, going on in our culture. So people are not being told the truth about yes. what's going on. So our goal is to give people the truth. So I encourage people to look at and analyze the website. Excellent. And that website is personandidentity.com. That's personandidentity.com. We're posting a link on social media. It's such an excellent resource. We've been waiting for this and we've needed it because I know there's been a lot of work to bring a Catholic response to what's happening and there are a lot of great resources compiled there. Dr. Teresa Farnan here on Trending with Timory from Person Identity. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, check out personandidentity.com. We posted a link on social media as well as in the episode notes. 